1: it's a ricochet right back to Danny Green it's just too much size I mean you're just watching larger human beings inside
2: Welcome, everybody, to the Lakers Legacy Podcast, where it's just preseason, rhetoric aside, we don't freaking care because we just got our Anthony Davis playing basketball in a Lakers jersey cherry popped this weekend. And boy, did it feel good. Is that an accurate assessment of how you felt this weekend?
1: Feels like the first time. (laughs) Feels like the very first
2: time. Exactly. Tommy, you actually watched the preseason game on DVR because you had a wedding to go to prior. So you watched it delayed. Can you tell me, leading up to when you were driving home and you were anxious to watch it, were you uh, were you nervous, palm sweaty, mom spaghetti, like LeBron James was heading into the game, even though all you were doing was watching it?
1: Um, The main thing I was nervous about was that somebody got hurt. So to that end, I... I really appreciate that you texted me to confirm that no one got hurt and did not give any other details. <laughs> so the entire time leading up to it, I was super excited. Obviously, it's a preseason game, so it's not that hard to avoid finding out the score because most people don't care. Um, like a few people at the wedding, I just told, hey, I'm DVRing the game, so don't look at the score. Or don't tell me it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was very excited and also mildly concerned. Wait, why? Because I thought that people wouldn't respect me enough and would just text if something really good happened would have texted me, but then nobody texted me. (laughs) So (laughs) then I was like, wow, we must've looked pretty bad or like pretty mediocre. And then I watched the game and I just, it was, it was a lot to take in.
2: It was euphoric and, uh, and lit as we usually like to say, um, before we get into our show, I want to switch things up a little bit. And Tommy, you are going to tell the listeners to follow us on Twitter, rate, interview us on iTunes, and maybe donate to our Patreon page because I'm just mixing things up. Anthony Davis is a Laker, and uh, maybe it'll actually work if you say it. So you ready? Go ahead and do it.
1: Go ahead and follow us on Twitter at LakersPodTwitter.com.
2: Oh you don't even know our freaking handle? <laughs>
1: Download us on the Apple Go Play Store, <laughs> something like that.
2: All right. Well, as you heard, Tommy, please follow us on Twitter at Lakers Legacy Pod. Please rate and review us four stars on iTunes. Please, please do that. That helps us out a lot. And also, if you are... <laughs> Did you
1: say rate and review us four stars? Give us five stars, man. Come on, we're not... Wait,
2: is it five we're pretty stars? pretty good. Oh, shit. My bad. Okay, you're, you're correcting me. <laughs> please rate us five stars on iTunes. Also...
1: I was wondering why you had so many four-star reviews lately.
2: Oh, damn.
1: No, I'm just kidding. It's probably because we deserved it. But...
2: <laughs> uh, and if you're also willing to donate a or $2, you can do so at patreon.com slash Podcast. And, yeah, please do all those things because Tommy told you to very incorrectly. Also, we are brought to you by Lineups.com. All right, with that said, Anthony Davis, first game as a Laker playing basketball. Look, I'll get all the caveats out of the way. It's just preseason. It's just preseason. It's just preseason. The Golden State Warriors did not have their full roster. Clay Thompson notwithstanding. uh, They didn't have their bigs mainly, which is, you know, Against the Lakers bigs, it's even more apparent that they were missing Kevon Looney, Willie Cauley-Stein. They were also missing Alec Burke, so caveat, caveat, qualifier, qualifier. But with that said, even with all that out of the way, my God. I mean, it <laughs> it just felt like a brand new atmosphere in Lakers Nation, watching this meaningless preseason game. And a lot of people are going to give us flack on Twitter for getting so excited over a game one Saturday night preseason game against a Golden State Warriors that's just trying to refine its new identity here, but can you tell me why you don't care about why, how excited you are? And and like, I, I remember we had discussions prior to this game where you just wanted to see the team set some sort of tone. For this preseason, regardless of how meaningless it was, because we've been on the other end of things where we somehow got blown out by 25 points in preseason. Right. And during those times, we'd say it's just preseason. It doesn't matter. But I guess for you, and again, it's just game one. I don't want to add any extra weight onto this game, but how, I guess, promising was it for you that we came out in convincing fashion and we pretty much just overwhelmed this Golden State Warriors team and and did what we had to do, even in spite of the fact that we as a team ourselves kind of just put this group together on the fly and we're still learning and finding out each other's idiosyncrasies and whatnot.
1: So you got all the caveats out of the way. So I did. Yeah. Yeah. So the subject, I'm not going to, we don't have to talk about that the rest of the time. I I think it should be obvious that those are all the normal caveats. Um, The big question I had going into this, and I raised it, I think multiple times on this podcast and, you know, just talking to you separately or whatever, that I was really curious to see how Vogel and this experienced coaching staff was going to approach the preseason because under Luke, it was weird, right? It, 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 for the last three years, I mean, we've been a rebuilding team the whole time. Like, maybe his first year at coach, as coach, he didn't have as much to work with as he did last year. But we had all these 19 to 22-year-old guys, and it always felt like even those guys weren't playing that much in preseason or, like, in lineups that, like, seemed to make sense. Like, they were all getting staggered rest days. I mean, these are, like, 22-year-old kids who needed to, like, learn how to play basketball and learn how to play basketball together pretty quickly and it just never felt like he took it that seriously despite how bad we were it would be and i i mean i use this as a specific example the last like three years in a row it was like the day before opening night and they would ask luke like how far is the team along and he'd be like well we've done 99.9 percent defense and we haven't really done the offense yet and it's like what have you been doing for the last six weeks you know teaching these guys how to like move laterally it's just so weird mm-hmm. So that was the thing I was most interested in, I think, going into the first game. And I think Vogel delivered on, like, at least quelled all of any potential fears that I had. We Mm. came in. It looked like, I mean, again, the Warriors are trying to get a lot of guys integrated, but so are we, right? Like, starting five versus starting five, this is pretty close to what it would be in a regular season game. Subject to, like, they would have, you know, Willie Cauley-Stein and or, or no, sorry, Willie Cauley-Stein or Looney starting at center, And they would have, like, Burks off the bench. You know, they were missing, like, three guys, but they weren't missing Steph. They weren't missing D'Lo. They weren't missing Draymond. They have, like, some players who have been on on that team for a while. Uh, Some of their young guys, like McKinney. Three of their five starters were on the team, you know, at least the last two years. Cause I think McKinney's only like a third year player or something, but obviously Steph and Draymond are like the core guys who are healthy right now. D'Lo was an all-star last year. This is a system that's been in place for five years. This coaching staff has been in place for like, I mean this specific staff has been in place for like three or two or three years. I mean, pretty Mm -hmm. much since Luke left and they replaced him with Mike Brown, but most of the guys on that staff have been there a very long time. Um, Point is like they had a lot less adjusting to do than we did and i i just feel like we came in and we just i mean overwhelm is like the correct word mm-hmm. it didn't look like they had a chance like from the opening tip it just felt like we were the aggressor we knew exactly what we wanted to run on defense on offense we knew how we were going to f- defend them you know and and i'm not even saying like it's funny like the critic cuz there always has to be a criticism criticism for the Lakers, right? So the cr- big criticism I saw that I'm sure you saw is like we went too hard for a preseason game.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, especially Avery Bradley.
1: <laughs> yeah, he went oh what a he so, what a try hard. That was like one thing I saw which was just like so absurd to me. Bradley was so hashtag #extra. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I'm like, first of all, I didn't even look like LeBron and Anthony Davis were trying, and they yes. had absurd stats in the first half. I mean, yeah, Bradley was trying, but he's trying to. He has something to prove this year, right? Like Dwight didn't really appear to be in game shape, and I thought had a great game. Um, JaVale McGee was like uh, a little slow towards the end of his runs, get, getting his legs under him. Not to say he's in bad shape; he's in great shape, but I mean, like getting his game legs under him and. You know, he looked great. I mean, it's just like everybody looks so good and cohesive. And it's crazy how fast this all came together Um, because training camp started like a week ago. I mean, I know they've had like unofficial workouts or whatever, but it's very obvious to me how much everybody's bought into the system. I mean, you look at the worst defenders on our team that everybody was hyper concerned about. Troy Daniels was working his butt off defensively, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm not saying he's a world beater, but he was doing things that we probably haven't seen him like, you know, in the, in the data that we have do before, in terms of being able to just be an adequate defender. Um, Rondo was Rondo, but as as down as I was on Rondo before the season, and it kind of pains me to say this, like Vogel has like figured out a way to make him semi-effective Right. Um, which is like good because we'll need him probably in the playoffs or like when we get into like big moments and like crucial games, it's going to be important to have him. I still ultimately think Caruso's better, but like we can get into that, but yeah. it, it just like, I, the summary is like, we overwhelm the Warriors and yeah, it's, it's, you can't take too, too much away from a preseason game, but we look so much further along than a team that many have project has uh, many have projected to be like a definite playoff team and like potentially even a top four team, even with their injuries. And they didn't even look like they were in the same, like playing the same game as us, like right, <laughs> roster right. to roster. You look up and down what our guys did versus what their guys did. And it's just like incredibly alarming. I mean, again, it, everybody looks so locked in. It did not feel like a preseason game. Um, well, in my opinion,
2: here's the other thing. Um, we put up 123 points, and if you actually take a step-back, zoom-out look at this game, our guys did not play. I mean, to us, it looked like they played very well, but if you actually just look at the data and the stats, we didn't hit any three-pointers, or we shot a very low percentage, 30%. Anthony Davis wasn't hitting his jump shots. LeBron James wasn't hitting his jump shots. We didn't have three of our key guys in Jared Dudley, Kyle Kuzma, and Quinn Cook Uh, There are several things to point to that also suggest that, like you mentioned, it kind of just felt like we were testing things out that night, and somehow it just all kind of clicked spontaneously. I mean, I'll I'll give Frank Vogel some credit. It definitely seems like he worked in some sets and plays that would have taken Luke Walton Game 1 of the actual regular season to implement. But I think just the, the, the fit between LeBron James and Anthony Davis is so seamless, and and probably even more seamless to when the Lakers traded for Pau Gasol. And that first game that he had, he debuted with us on the road against the Nets. I think he had like 24 points and 12 rebounds, and Kobe was just doing his best, most conscientious effort to like feed Pau Gasol every time down. And you just saw how naturally those two would work. I feel like LeBron and Anthony Davis are like that but amp it up times 10 or put it on steroids, you know, just because you add into yep. that how freakish they are in physical stature together. And again, I I mentioned that they didn't hit jump shots. They did this purely based off of strength. And I want to caveat things again that the Warriors are probably, especially without Looney and Willie Cauley-Stein, one of the smallest teams right now that we could have faced off against and we're going to look this good against a team like this. But it's still encouraging nonetheless that this is game one. Um, for some reason I, I had a Warriors broadcast on because I was watching this on YouTube TV, and for some reason I have that channel was available to me. So I was watching this <laughs> on the Warriors broadcast, and the tweet that got me the most hits that night was one where I quoted the Warriors um announcers. And this was after the play where Anthony Davis was just tipping the ball to himself off of a uh, Danny Green three-point shot miss on the baseline. And if you remember, he tips the ball to himself like three times and then eventually just jams it down ferociously for like an and one. And then he lets out a primal scream. The Warriors broadcast, upon seeing that play, pretty much just dejectedly said, it's just it's just too much size. These are just larger human beings inside. You're seeing Draymond Green and Omari sp- Spellman try to hold down the fort the Lakers well they're legit so it was kind of cool to hear you know another team's broadcast say that that That's pretty cool and kind of feel you could feel the sense of desperation on their end and just how overpowering and overwhelming we were um, in terms of our size because at that point LeBron James Anthony Davis and JaVale McGee were all on the floor Um, so yeah to kind of segment this out a little bit more how did you feel? Let's let's give Anthony Davis his shine, obviously, because in just one half, Anthony Davis had 22 points, 10 rebounds, 2 assists, 1 steal, 9 for 16 from the field. He only hit one jump shot. The one he did hit was the ridiculous one where he did like a pullback yo-yo dribble on Draymond Green and then kind of awkwardly flailed his legs and got that and one banker. But, you know, every time we've had a player... Maybe not even of Anthony Davis' stature, but any new player that we're excited to see perform for the first time in a Lakers jersey. I don't know about you, but for me, I'm always a little cautious and I try to like mind warp myself into, you know, believing that it's probably going to take him like a quarter or two to really get into the flow of things and maybe he's nervous, et cetera, et cetera. But for you, when did it hit you that, like, okay, this is different? Now I remember how good Anthony Davis is because he is just. He's just doing what comes naturally to him out there and being big and being skilled, and it's just fitting perfectly. I guess, like, when did it hit you that Anthony Davis is just a different breed from anything else we've seen before? Well,
1: the only thing I can compare this to really is when I saw Lonzo Ball suit up for the first time for his first Laker game, and I thought, this is greatness we're witnessing. Um, (laughs) No, But but seriously, I... I, uh, Anthony Davis is really damn good. And I was actually having this conversation with a couple people um, since the game. Is it possible that Anthony Davis is underrated? I mean, he's already considered like what a top five, six ish player in the NBA, but I think there's going to be a legitimate case. If things go as planned and he can stay healthy, there are going to be, is Anthony Davis the best player in the NBA just type of discussions. Um Obviously, so much of your perception is how well your team does. And obviously, he's not blameless for the fact that, you know, in eight years or seven years or whatever, he was in New Orleans, like, he only made the playoffs twice or two or three times. Like, he's not blameless in that. But it's like you were saying before, like, they are such... Like, Anthony Davis and LeBron are such an insanely, like, complementary pairing. It's just Mm -hmm. like... it, It feels unfair. You know what I mean? Like, when they run plays together and, like, they're both engaged and involved in the action, it feels like you're playing NBA 2K on, like, rookie mode. Like, you're going to get an <laughs> yes, easy basket. Yeah, that's what basket. it felt like,
2: yeah.
1: <laughs> you know, it's, it's crazy. It's like, okay, either you leave Anthony Davis alone and LeBron is going to put it right on the money and he's going to catch it and finish it. Like, an easy, like, guaranteed basket. Or you leave LeBron alone and he's going to have a wide open, like free throw line jumper that he's going to knock down. (laughs) You know what I mean? So it's like, or LeBron is just going to, or you don't really commit either way. And LeBron is just going to go himself and dunk it. You know, it's just like, it's crazy. Like how complimentary they are. I, I was saying this before. I mean, a lot of people will naturally, I think, compare it to Kobe and Shaq. I think we have like a ways to go before we see how this compares to that, um, that duo. But Everybody over the last few years was like obsessed with like this big three thing, right? And I think part of that is LeBron's teams had so much uh, so much success with that. But LeBron's teams were never like three top ten players. I mean, it was like yeah, Dwayne Wade and Chris Bosh were very very good players. Chris Bosh was probably like you know Dwayne Wade was maybe a, a top ten player at that time. Chris Bosh was maybe like a top twenty or twenty five ish player at that time. And Chris Bosh took the obvious like third wheel when they teamed up and it really became like a big two between LeBron and Wade. And I think the same similar thing happened in Cleveland. Like Kevin Love was not a top 20 player at the time he was on the Cavs, but he ended up taking a big step back and it ended up becoming like a big two between LeBron and Kyrie for the most part. Um I think that's, like, what, what's happening here, right? It's so much easier. There's one basketball, you know what I mean? It's, like, any everybody wants to try this three-star thing, but, like, if you have two, like, megastars, like LeBron and Anthony Davis, who are, like, arguably each top five players, you don't... That third guy, I'm not saying it's irrelevant, but it's almost better to have depth at that point. And I think you saw the impact of that because these two guys each individually elevate their teammates so much that when you put them out there together, you got these random ass like... Mediocre players looking like all stars. Javale McGee <laughs> looked like an all star when he plays with Anthony Davis. It's crazy because yeah, no one have was guarding
2: him, and he was just running down yeah. the lane for these open dunks like it was practice. Yeah, it, yeah. or even Dwight.
1: Like Dwight ha- like has. It's so sad actually watching Dwight play, and I really actually like what he did. Me too, in That yeah. first game, but it's very sad watching him play because he is such a shell of his former self. I mean, sure. I don't think for him to be effective for us he needs to be anywhere remotely approaching that um but i like i think what he did in game 1 was fine and i think he'll get better he really needs to get in game shape cuz he basically missed the entire last season mm-hmm. um but you know he doesn't have the same explosiveness but anthony davis is getting him like the easiest buckets i mean minus like two four shots that he had which like okay it's preseason so i'll like kind of look the other way <laughs> um uh he, like, you know, LeBron lobbed to Anthony Davis, contested pass to Dwight for an open dunk. Like, it, that's going to be there all season. And it's so reminiscent of what we used to do, like, with Kobe, uh, Lamar, and Pau, right? Mm-hmm. It's two big men and then, like, a, a wing who can score and create. And that's what we're kind of, you know, getting here again. It just – Anthony Davis is so good. I, I just – like – somebody was telling me the other day he's like seven to one or eight to one or something to win MVP. I would put some serious money. I mean, if he stays healthy, I just can't see another player passing him. And it was really exciting getting LeBron last year. We've gotten like a player who is almost as effective as like prime LeBron at 26 years old on our team right now. And watching him impact both sides of the court is just so alarming. I, the Warriors must have shot like 10% on shots that he contested. And it's crazy because he get. and if you watch Pete's videos um, or his breakdown of Anthony Davis's defense, it really goes into better detail on this, but Anthony Davis will leave his man like with 10 feet of space <laughs> to like shoot it and then still close yep. out and contest the shot somehow because of his wingspan that like, it looks like he's so far away, and then you see the person shoot the ball, and their form gets all hitched and like messed up. And how many shots did he like close out on D'Lo, and and uh, D'Lo like barely got the shot over him, or it looked like he kind of like tipped it, maybe. Like it, it's just like we're gonna have that all season, and yeah. it's so crazy because he's contesting shots at the rim, he's contesting shots on the perimeter, he's you know stripping guys, he's like getting rebounds. It's like insane. I, I just. Like we, this is what we wanted when we were so hyped on Kevin Garnett, like 15 years ago or whatever that was. You know, this is what we were hoping to compliment with Kobe. And now we got that to compliment LeBron. And it's like, it's crazy, how like seeing them together, how much they've been criminally like underrated, in my opinion, by the media
2: yeah, I, th- I think this this Anthony Davis move is legacy defining and the fact that you have LeBron James on the tail end of his prime helping usher this dude into the next generation is quite insane. And you know, the zero blocks that Anthony Davis had is not indicative of his defensive performance. like you said, him just closing out on those shooters, not actually not even needing to close out on those shooters and just literally obstructing their shot every which way. I mean, the Golden State Warriors shot 39% from the field and 26% from three. All like, Not a lot of that was Anthony Davis because he only played the first half, but you could tell, you could feel his presence and they could feel his presence. Doesn't it feel like LeBron James and Anthony Davis out there last night, it felt like they were just running a scrimmage and they were just trying stuff out and in the moment and in the flow of the game, they were like, oh, hey, that worked. What about this? Oh, that worked too. What about that? Oh, that one didn't work, but it's okay. You cleaned up my mistake. Thank you. You know, it just felt like they were just trying things out undeterred. And maybe a large part of that is it's preseason. But I I just feel like because of the size disparity and also just because of how talented they were, it was cool to see them in the moment realize, one, how much more space each one of them had. And then, two, who the recipient was on the other end. And it's it's almost like we ask ourselves or we tell ourselves, or at least I've been telling myself, that it wouldn't hit me what seeing Anthony Davis on a nightly basis would feel like until I actually saw him play on a nightly basis. And it almost feels like LeBron James and Anthony Davis were having that same epiphany on the court as they were playing. You know, I'm sure they felt it in practice, but in a real live gameplay setting, this is the first time they got a chance to actually see it in action, right? And they were like oh, it is as easy as we've been thinking. Wow, how about this? Let's try this. Let's try that. And in the flow of all that, they end up with, you know, Anthony Davis ends up with 22 points and 10 rebounds. LeBron James has a double-double, 10 assists, and it just came so easily to them without them really needing to exert their effort.
1: That's what I'm saying. Like, it didn't even feel like they were really trying. And Anthony Davis had 22 and 10. <laughs> and LeBron, And LeBron had, like... 15 and eight or whatever or 10 and eight or something like that. in like the first half with Um, no outside shots falling with no outside shots falling and like not even trying, (laughs) you know what I mean? It's so crazy how cohesive they are. And it's again, it's like a Testament and we've talked about this before, but it's a Testament to experience. I mean, we had all these like ideas and hypotheses and theories about how, you know, our young guys were all going to fit together and who was going to develop into what. And you know, oh, if this happens with B.I. and this happens with Lonzo and this happens with Josh Hart and this happens with Kuzma, like this is what's gonna, our team is gonna look like. But when you get experienced guys in there where like you already know what you're getting, you throw these guys in there and it's like, were they riffing off each other? Yeah, they totally were riffing off each other because they're so good. Like that's easy for them. Yep. They're improvising out there. They're just improvising because the baseline playing the game is so easy for them. That they just can do do whatever the hell, you know, it, that they want to do. Because it's not like they have to, you know, be able to run 100 miles per hour and recite Shakespeare. <laughs> you know, doing that for the first time is probably really hard. Doing that for the second time is probably really hard. But when you're an expert at reciting Shakespeare, all you really have to do is focus on the running or, you know, vice versa. And it's it just like that's what they're doing. Like... Everything is coming so easily to them that they can just make stuff up on the fly, and it's so effective because they perfectly complement each other. They have teammates that perfectly complement both of them, minus one lineup that Vogel threw out there that hopefully, maybe he will, he'll show it one more time to see if it gets better, but there was one lineup he threw out there like in the second quarter for a stretch that involved Rondo and KCP yes. that... And maybe Dwight, and maybe Dwight? really yep. did Yeah. <laughs> and and maybe that, that lineup really did not get the job done outside of like Troy Daniels played okay in that lineup. But every other lineup that we threw out there worked. And the reason it worked, it wasn't just by chance. It, and it wasn't necessarily I mean, part of it's coaching, but it wasn't all coaching. It's like the players we have complement each other so perfectly. And you've you've talked about this before too. It's like You can really throw any combination of players out there. Actually, you've almost literally verbatim said what I'm about to say. (laughs) You can throw any combination of players out there. And other than like a wonky like Rondo KCP and like, you know, one other, you know, two centers lineup, like you're going to get most of the lineups you throw out there are going to be able to play off each other and are going to be able to be super effective.
2: Yeah, I said you could pretty much put names in a hat and pick out five names. And as opposed to last year, you know, if you drew drew out of that hat a a five-man rotation, seven times out of ten you'd come up with a wonky lineup that would need some work. This year, you do that same thing. 10 lineups from names out of a hat and you'll probably get eight out of 10 lineups that actually work simply because Anthony Davis and LeBron James are staggered, (laughs) (laughs) which is a great thing to have. What a beautiful thing to have. Uh, We'll take it to break. Uh, When we come back, we'll just talk about the team in general and any other observations we saw and then we'll close it out from there. All right, so we're back. As we have been mentioning, the Lakers simply overwhelm the Warriors with their size. And on most nights, they're going to do this to the rest of the NBA. Uh, size matters, and that's exactly what the Lakers have. Even Dwight Howard, as um, lead-footed as he seemed and earthbound as he seemed, is still just a strong-ass dude, you know what I mean? And between him, JaVale McGee, LeBron James, and Anthony Davis, this has to be the bulkiest, bully-ballish sort of front line that I can ever remember from the Lakers, right? Because we had Powell and Bynum before, those dudes were long and tall, but I wouldn't necessarily consider Powell Gasol, especially at the stage that we got him in, as some sort of big man bruiser, right? He was like half-strong, half-finesse, but with Anthony Davis, Dwight Howard, JaVale McGee, and LeBron James, those are dudes with boulders for shoulders for the most part, and they are just gonna boulders for shoulders. Boulders for shoulders. Check out our new podcast, Boulders for Shoulders. Um <laughs> But yeah, man, the the Lakers, they out rebounded the Golden State Warriors sixty six to thirty six. Sorry, no, 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 outscor- no, 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 no. sorry, outscored yeah. them sixty-six to thirty-six. That's amazing if they did in that the paint, sixty-six yeah. to thirty-six in paint points. They out rebounded the Warriors fifty-eight to forty-seven, out-rebounded them in offensive rebounds sixteen to ten. And in spite of the fact that we only shot thirty percent from three, we still shot forty-eight percent just because of how dominant Anthony Davis and the rest of the Lakers were in the paint. And that's what Dwight Howard missing like three or four layups in the lane, you know, just because he couldn't get up yet or, or he had like butterfingers. Right. So man, if this is a sign of things to come, it's an exciting sign because I can only think of maybe the Philadelphia 76ers, maybe the Portland trailblazers. If Yusuf Nurkic gets healthy with Hassan Whiteside, maybe, maybe the Denver Nuggets, but outside of those few teams, throwing the jazz as well with Gobert, but outside of Gobert they don't really have that much big man depth. But with the Lakers, it's like you can just rotate the bigs around and stagger them accordingly, and you'll always have at least one or two guys who are like built like running backs as your center or power forward. And it's it's really insane to to see in action. I'm sure at some points it'll look really clunky. and may look clunky as soon as this Brooklyn Nets game, but and, and I think the Nets game will be an interesting um test for us. I'm not sure if DeAndre Jordan's going to play, but they do have DeAndre and Jarrett Allen. So, we'll see how our bigs adjust to to another team with actual length. With that said, Tommy, let's just talk about, uh, I guess, just the the roster as a whole and just any observations and impressions that you got. Anything else stand out to you or any player that you kind of want to highlight? I I will say that with Dwight Howard, it's obvious that he needs to get his sea legs back or he needs to get his sea legs in general. Um, He also kind of showed his butterfingers again. He was missing, like, a bunch of really easy passes from guys like Rondo or, or LeBron. But I actually like that the mentality, I feel like you could see from Dwight that he was okay, that he was a role player, and you could kind of feel that buy-in from him. And because of that, I felt really comfortable with him on the floor. You know, he didn't do too much outside of, a like, one or two little forays, um... In the post, but outside of that, I felt like he stayed in his lane, played his role, was rebounding and trying to stay active and batting balls and getting offensive rebounds and whatnot, setting pretty good screens, not slipping every screen like he's prone to do. Um, but for the first time, we got a glimpse of what it looks like to see Dwight Howard the role player. And even in his debilitated state, I was comforted by the fact that he can be a role player. And if all we need him to do is, like, put a hurt on some people for 15 to 20 minutes, that's all we need him to do, you know? So, your thoughts on Dwight? Yeah, Dwight
1: pretty much came in as good as I hoped, um... I don't know what anyone else was expecting and I understood always the fears about Dwight and namely that he's a jerk and he, he might think he's better than he is and I always understood those fears but I was always up op- I ma- maintained my optimism given the kind of contract that he signed that he wasn't going to be playing games and he looked exactly like in my like in my wildest dreams I couldn't have ever hoped for something like this right it's like he came out and was He played like 18 minutes he he, he or something. He had like eight points and nine rebounds or nine and nine, I I think it was. But if he just does that... And and the thing is, again, he looked fine and happy doing it. He was first off the bench to cheer for his teammates. When JaVale did good things, he was up there cheering. He was high-fiving JaVale. He looked to be in good spirits on the bench. Wasn't like clowning or like sulking or had his head down. Like you said, one or two forays into the paint maybe to and and to be fair to him even he did these crazy moves into the paint when we had like our defenders lineups out there um and still he shouldn't have done it but i will give him the benefit (laughs) of the doubt that he was trying that kind of stuff He's feeling like well i might as well get this out of the way now while these guys are out you know what i mean but i thought he looked really good he's going to absorb so much contact i really hope he can stay healthy it's such
2: a low risk for us and he seems like He's going to play nice. Um, And once he gets his legs underneath him, he'll make one or two more dunks than he did yesterday, and that's 10 points easy, you know? Exactly, and that's what I'm saying. Like he, I almost
1: wish, actually... I will say this is the one thing about Dwight that I'll close with, because I think you pretty well covered it, but I think JaVale is going to get the nod to start because of his familiarity with LeBron and being on the team last year. And he, frankly, at this stage in his career, is better than Dwight in many ways. I I Mm -hmm. do think... Dwight still makes more sense to start. I think JaVale... Rondo needs a lob threat to be super effective. And if we're going to go with Rondo as our backup point guard, I think he needs JaVale out there. Some of those misses or like miscues on like the lobs and broken down plays involving Dwight and Rondo mm-hmm. were because Rondo needs somebody who has really good hands. Dwight has famously bad, very horrible hands. Um, and somebody who can elevate... And or someone who can elevate to finish lobs, and Javel can at least do that. Right. And, you know, arguably we could use more of Javel's. I'm not, it's, he's not a scorer, but more of his scoring punch just because he's able to finish so much better than Dwight at this stage. We could use more of that off the bench, probably. I'll be interested to see. I don't think it really mat- matters either way, but that's kind of how I would do it. I mean, if you're playing Jokic, I would rather have Dwight on him than. JaVale but maybe they'll do that situationally maybe they'll take turns starting yeah based on matchups I don't know how they're gonna approach it but I would I'm I'm interested to see how Vogel uh, manages that situation but yeah I couldn't be happier with Dwight
2: I think one way to mitigate that is you you bring JaVale McGee off the floor first and bring in Rondo so that Rondo's playing with Anthony Davis or, or maybe bring Dwight Howard in first. <laughs> you know, like stagger it in a way where Rondo is at least playing with one lob threat and it's not just Dwight in that position, you know? Where I think right. eventually it'll work out where Dwight will catch those passes that Rondo's feeding him. Maybe not the ones up top, but just like the, the typical dump-off passes. But yeah, I think having Rondo aligned with Anthony Davis, as we saw, he had some really, really nice passes to him. And he probably should have had another highlight reel alley-oop to Anthony Davis if Jordan Poole hadn't dirtily pushed him in the back while he was like ready to take off in the air. But it's clear that Rondo has really good chemistry with Anthony Davis that's transferred over through his time with him in New Orleans. So keeping them together is key. And then like you said, finding a way to also get JaVale McGee with Rondo is going to help us out as well. Let's talk about Rondo really quickly. Um, he was a plus four. He played a lot of minutes. I think a lot of that was due to Avery Bradley getting in foul trouble and also probably Frank Vogel telling him beforehand that we're going to let you run a consistent you know, 10 to 15 minutes undeterred and see how you play this out because in the second half, we're going to sit you along with Anthony Davis and LeBron James. So that's why you saw Rondo out there for a prolonged stretch. Well, and Quinn Cook was out too. And Quinn Cook was out, too. But look, man, I, I've i been, like, banging this drum the entire offseason. I, I simply cannot get frustrated and pull my hair out over Rajon Rondo when we have Anthony Davis and LeBron James on this team. Is it annoying that we have another player in Alex Caruso who is objectively better than Rondo who has to play behind him? Yes, it's a little annoying, but at the same time, you a saw little. the glimpses. <laughs> it is. It's not. I mean, it's not that annoying to me just because I'm still so excited and hyped by Anthony Davis, and also just the objective chemistry that he has with Rajon Rondo. I know some people are going to tell me you put Alex Caruso in that spot, and Alex Caruso will do even better. I, I I totally buy that. But look, Anthony Davis and LeBron James have a great rapport with Rajon Rondo, and they want that guy out there with them. So. If it's going to make them happy and it's going to continue to allow, allow them to play with this like jovial spirit like their kids again, have Rondo out there, man. It doesn't, to me, it doesn't matter. And, and like, if anything, Rondo is at least in a better situation and context than he was in last year where he has more lob threats. He has Anthony Davis. He's got more shooters. And just like I think just the collective sense of the team and the mission that they're trying to move forward with that's just going to hold Rondo accountable a little bit more. You know, it's never going to make a difference on defense, but an engaged and locked-in Rondo, as everybody knows, is different than the Rondo that we saw, like, the two or three months of the season last year, where he was, like, a minus 16 and a minus 29 in net rating the last two months when he was no longer playing for anything. You know, a Rondo who's playing for something, it may still not be as good as Alex Caruso, but it's a hell of a lot better than what people remember of Rondo last season, which is why can't get too annoyed by it. Uh, hopefully, eventually, Alex Caruso will continue to do what he did last night, like a plus 17, six assists, one tur- only one turnover, was driving into the lane, hit that really nice off-the-dribble three-point shot. Hopefully, he continues to play that way, and eventually, Rondo's minutes diminish. But for now, after one game, I cannot get frustrated over Rajan Rondo, who still did some pretty nice things for guys like Anthony Davis and Dwight Howard, and probably should have had at least two or three more assists. Like Danny Green missed that wide open baseline three off of his pass. Dwight Howard missed a really easy layup off of a Rondo pass. And again, that Anthony Davis lob where he got fouled and like shoved to the ground should have been an assist as well. So your quick thoughts on Rajan Rondo.
1: Pretty, I mean, most of what you said, I agree with. I do think Rondo will be a, an important player for us at some point this season. I don't think that's going to be until the playoffs. Um, yeah. Like for sure, I mean he will help us obviously. Before that, I'm not trying to like belittle that. I'm just saying that it's important for this team's championship aspirations that Rajon Rondo plays, get some run during the season. I don't know. It's going to be interesting. Like, I'm I, again. I keep saying it's going to be interesting to continue to watch how Vogel manages this team. We do have so much depth that you can kind of use both Caruso and Rondo. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Like, although although you're starting Avery Bradley and it's like, how many people are you going to play? You don't have to play Rondo consistently the whole season, nor do you have to play Caruso consistently the whole season. I mean, I do think Caruso is still young enough to where, although he looks very, very, very solid. And I don't think like if to the extent you need a guard out there, Bradley can't play and Rondo and Caruso are your only options, and LeBron is out there. You have to go with Caruso, in my opinion. Um, but I think you can find spots early in the season for Rondo to come in and make a contribution, and let Caruso like work his way into like the rotation and work his way into proving he's a consistently productive player. Um, over an 82-game season, and then start to give Caruso more time as the season progresses. But then you still have Rondo back there who has gotten run earlier in the year and, you know, is ready for the playoffs. I think there is some balance to be had there. Um, I I think Rondo looks significantly, significantly better when he's—and it's like, again, this is something you called called before the first game, but— when he has guys who are obviously tailored to him, like there was a lineup that ran out there with like him, Anthony Davis, and like three shooters, basically. Mm-hmm. And I don't remember exactly what it was, but it was like Danny Green like that. was definitely out there. Yeah. yeah, it was like Danny Green, Troy Daniels, and one other guy. I'm not sure. Or maybe it was uh, a, a center. I, I can't remember. But the point is, <laughs> he looked fantastic in that lineup. And when guys know where they're supposed to go, like we have veterans this year who understand transition spacing and they just do it naturally. And Rondo is finding them like Aaron Rogers out there, dude. It's like, it's like pretty impressive to watch. Um, you mentioned his chemistry with AD. He gives AD that ball like right where he needs it. Um, AD mm-hmm. said it himself, but like it's, it's undeniable chem- chemistry. All of this being said, you lose something with Rondo on the defensive end. I will say, though, for all the people who are getting so hyped about it, like, to the extent Rondo is getting torched defensively, like, Avery Bradley would be playing more minutes those games anyway. Avery Bradley is not, like, a joke player. Like, if he plays at this level and in this fitness, like okay, when you're playing Steph Curry, Avery Bradley uh, Bradley will play 30 minutes that game. And then what? So you need Rondo to come in for 18 minutes and guard like the backup point guard? He's going to look a lot less bad guarding opposing teams' backup point guards than he looked last year guarding like, you know, Damian Lillard and Westbrook and Chris Paul and all these guys over an 82-game season.
2: Well, that's a great point because when he came in, he had to guard whoever Bradley was guarding, which was Steph Curry. Exactly. Because Bradley was in foul trouble, but yeah.
1: Exactly, exactly. So, you know, like, yeah, Rondo is not who he once was defensively, and nobody should, like, try to pretend that that's not the case. Um, But I do think you're maybe losing a little bit less than you think with his poor defense just because it's such a small sample size. We're not asking him to play 30 minutes a game like he did last year. Like, at most, you're thinking maybe 15-ish. And then you have other guards. You obviously have Bradley, who's a bona fide starter. Like... I just don't think it's going to be that big of an issue over an 82-game season defensively because I'm not expecting him to play consistently, like I mentioned. And then in the playoffs, we know what happens. Um, and I think this it becomes somewhat of an irrelevant uh, point.
2: Yeah, and also the last thing I'll say on Rondo, because I know a lot of people have also been harping on Frank Vogel's comments of him finding an outside shot this late into his career, like Jason Kidd, and people just mentioning, like, this is where three-point shooting percentage doesn't matter because it doesn't matter that Rondo's been shooting 35 36% the last few years because he still does not command a defense well enough to make the spacing on the floor even mildly palatable. And to that, I'd say... Who actually believes that Rondo will ever be able to hit three-point shots well enough for that to ever happen? For me, I'm just glad that he's even taking those wide-open shots because, believe it or not, there used to be a time where he wouldn't even take those shots, and he'd either take a two-step dribble in to take a random mid-range jump shot that he'd still miss anyways, or he'd try and take that shot and it wouldn't go in. So at least we're getting the version of Rajon Rondo where, as hilariously as it looks... (laughs) Just seeing him on an island, like like he's Tom Hanks and Castaway hoisting up this three-point shot, at the very least, we're getting the version of Rondo this late into his career that's at least going to give you two threes out of every five or six shots that he takes from there. You know, I'll, I'll take that <laughs> over him just not taking the shot or missing the shot altogether. Uh, with that said, we'll close our show. I just want to say really quick... Um, Danny Green, Mr. Dependable, so great that we can go an entire show and not even talk about him just because you he's a for-sure thing, you know? He's just going to do what he needs to do, and you saw all those hilarious clips of as wide open as Rajon Rondo was for some of his three-pointers, so was Danny Green, which is insane to think about because Danny Green is a guy who commands a defense and shoots a legitimate 45% from three on high volume. Uh t- Oh, Troy Daniels. Props to Troy Daniels, dude. This guy... Troy Daniels. Th- this guy was sl- slated to be like a 13th man on our roster, right? But because of injuries, he got his shot. And they even drew some plays for him out of timeout to like... On Honestly, that curl I on thought the baseline. he
1: looked really good. I mean, this guy, like, I think him and Quinn Cook might surprise some people. Again, over an 82-game season. Splash bros from the bench. Play- if, 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 <laughs> and if one or both of them is playing like some defense... If I'm KCP, I'm, like, watching my back, you know what I <laughs> yes. mean? Because, because like, Troy Daniels was hitting shots. I mean, he he took, like, thirty, some 36-foot, like, Steph Curry bombs, and just, like, n- he nailed at least one. So that guy is just, it's just, like, what a joy, right? It's like, did we have anybody on our team the last three years who it's, like, you pass it to them, it was an open shot, and you felt, like, even more than, like, confident that they were going to make it. I I can't think of
2: one person. And this is our thirteenth man this year, or maybe twelfth or eleventh, right? Last year that would have been Mo Wagner, <laughs> you know, like Isaiah It's whatever. It's, just so it's, crazy. It's, it's crazy. It's so crazy. Um. Okay. Well, let's 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 put a pin in it right there. The Lakers look good. This is just the first game. Really excited to see how they play in China if China allows us to play those games. That's another story for another time. Um. Let's close this out, Tommy, really quickly with your favorite Anthony Davis play from last night.
1: Favorite Anthony Davis play. Um, the one where he made points.
2: No, come on, dude. I'm not going to let you get away with
1: this. (laughs) No, my favorite Anthony Davis play. Um, it probably was, okay. It was one of his assists. He only had two, so you can go look it up, (laughs) but I'm going to describe it vaguely. It was one of them where it it was kind of what I was describing earlier that was so reminiscent to me of like the Kobe Pow Lamar connections, but it was like, high
2: low, high, low game.
1: It was like, yeah, like LeBron ran a screen or like a high pick and roll with Anthony Davis, came around, like lobbed it up to Davis, but it was like the lob was heavily contested. So then Anthony Davis just kind of like touch past it in midair to Dwight Howard, who just had a wide open dunk. And man, it was just like that's gonna be there all season, and we're just going like, how do you stop that if you are like most teams in the NBA?
2: Wait, was it Dwight or Javale? I don't remember Dwight. I thought it was
1: Dwight, but it might have been JaVale.
2: Yeah. But anyways, no, I I agree with you. I was going to say, like, he had two other assists or he had, I'm not sure if this is the same one, but he had two assists at the top of the key. One that was two. And I think this is the perfect encapsulation of Anthony Davis and LeBron James in concert with each other and just how strong and dominant they were because they were like the big boys in the schoolyard where he was at the three-point line. He saw that LeBron James, even though he was surrounded by like two or three guys, they were too small and he just lofted it over the air. LeBron James caught it and he kind of muscled his way into like a, an easy layup against the very small Warriors. And And to me, that was that high-low game and showed some of Anthony Davis's great passing because he did the same thing to JaVale McGee, I think shortly after that. for JaVale McGee didn't end up throwing it down, but he collected himself, gathered, and, and eventually dunked it. But... But yeah, so much more to be excited about with regards to Anthony Davis, including him hitting his mid-range jump shot. His first shot was actually like a fadeaway Dirk shot that didn't go in, but I'm excited to see him post up, take a fadeaway turnaround jump shot, Uh, excited to see his three-point shot fall. Um, But for now, man, he was just dunking the hell out of the ball all night, and it was such a joy to see. And, And you could just... You could just tell that there's nothing that anybody can do when Anthony Davis has a head of steam and with his long arms and just how freakishly built he is. It's been a long, long time since we've had somebody like that, probably since Shaq. And you you just see how, I don't want to say irrelevant, it makes everything else, but he cleans up so, so many mistakes and also amplifies everybody else around you. And I think the collective, even just like the collective morale and sense of purpose that this team has, I think that should help propel even like the worst guys on our team. That includes Rondo, that includes... KCP. Everybody's just going to have a different mindset. You you saw it from Troy Daniels, who's not known as a defensive player, like trying his ass off, okay? Everybody's Avery Bradley all of a sudden. Like, look, this is the first preseason game. Everybody's hyped. Everybody's amped. LeBron James said he had sweaty hands and was nervous. I get it. This is going to wane at some point in the season. But for one game, we felt like the Lakers again, and nobody can take that away from us, damn it. Anything else to say? Yeah... Cool. Thanks for backing me up, dude. <laughs> no, I know you got my back on that one. All right, with that said, we'll end it right there. Uh, Tommy, do you want to do the plug?
1: Lakers on pod com.
2: All right, just just end it, .zenga.com. All right, thank you guys for listening. Follow us on Twitter, at LakersLegacyPod. Please also rate and interview us on iTunes. Also, patreon.com slash the Lakers Legacy Podcast. The Lakers play in China, On Thursday, 4.30 a.m. And then on Saturday, 4.30 a.m. as well. Catch you guys next time. Tommy. Later. Peace.